0: Last week um, I jumped ahead in Matthew five to do the message on salt and light, and I had read to you um, a letter from a woman named Sharona Counts, who is the editor of uh, I think the largest online pro-choice magazine. She uh, she's a strong supporter of uh, of abortion and and uh, and so uh, she wanted to interview me, and and I said there was you know kind of two requirements if we were going to interview together. One is I, I want you to come to church. Um, and, and see what we do. And then secondly, I want to spend an hour just getting to know you, why you do what you do, and I want you to know why I do what I do so that we can understand each other before we get into the issue itself. And she came to church, and, and she was she brought her husband and her little daughter, and, and she just commented on the love of this congregation, and it really touched her deeply. And then we sat up in my office and talked, and, and the hour went into two hours two and a half hours, and it wasn't about any interviewing issues at all. It was just getting to know each other, and she had a, an amazing story, and she was touched by my story, and then we did spend time interviewing in depth, and she still is yet to write an article, but there's been a dialogue that's been continuing, and through the election, she was devastated by the results, and, and it sent me a letter that I read last week, and then I responded to her, and I read you that, but then she responded this week, and I wanted to share it with you because it applies to all of you. She said, Rob, I keep thinking about your note. I'm sorry to hear about your sister's uh, your sister's uh, partner's decision. I can imagine how painful that was. I've heard similar stories from all sides of this election. We're going to go to the wedding of one of our friends whose fiance was a vocal Trump supporter. I don't hate her for supporting him. I think she was wrong, and I fear that we as a nation are about to see why, but I don't think she's a bad person or that we should reject her for it. I wanted to ask you about an idea that has been floating in my mind as your note continued to percolate in the little space between my ears. I'm thinking about writing something along the lines of how the new Trump administration looks from the vantage point of your church and your congregants. I'd like to trace how you see his successes and failures. I'm really thinking out loud here. I would want to come to a few more of your services... And continue our email correspondence and, of course, chat either by phone and in person occasionally, though not, of course, so often that it becomes a burden, which it wouldn't. I'm thinking uh, I ought to ask, uh, she quotes a member of our congregation as well, and to reach out to some of the other pastors I was speaking with over the summer. Our hope by now, uh, I hope by now you've come to see that I have a genuine desire to understand your perspective. I think that staying in touch over the next few months would be tremendously valuable and help communicate some of the things about your beliefs and actions that, as you told me earlier in the summer, were not understood by many outside your community. Does this sound like an okay idea? I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. I don't actually know if this is something that my current publication would or should publish, but there are plenty of other outlets where I have great relationships that I think would be very eager for this kind of piece, Warm Regards, Sharona. It's very sweet. And so uh, i I want you to pray about that because obviously. The, the Lord would use you to minister to her and countless of folks around the country. So pray about that and we'll see what the Lord says. Uh, for those of you wondering, uh, this is our new church decoration. Um, my daughter got married yesterday. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> and uh, these were the chairs that we used for the wedding. Uh, they're not as comfortable as our typical chairs. So this week it's coach. Next week we'll go back to first class. <clears throat> This right here is my daughter always wanted to be married in a barn, and I said not because she was raised in one, but she wanted to be married in a barn, and there wasn't one for us to find uh, in such quick notice as they wanted a short engagement. Um, and so uh, her fiancé, now husband, built this for her with uh, Kevin Golan, and they put it together, and I thought it's really cool. It was really sweet. So we left it up for you to enjoy. And uh, actually, we didn't want to take it down. We are too tired. Um, LAUGHTER But I was, I was deeply blessed yesterday, and, um, and I, I want kind of my observations of yesterday to tie into the picture of what I think is uh, the, the best sermon ever preached. The best sermon ever preached. And this sermon is called the Sermon <clears throat> on the Mount because Jesus gave it on a hilltop. And actually, the location, uh, and we're going to go back to Israel in November. For those of you who didn't go with us the last time, we're going to take another trip, and you're welcome to come. It's going to be in November. And when you get to the place of the of the beatitudes where Jesus spoke on the on Lake Gennesaret Galilee excuse me I'm better uh at, when 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 you get to that location a lot of Calvary Chapel pastors leave the the uh catholic church that's located there and they walk through the brush to what many scholars believe to be the original location and it's it's a bowl kind of an amphitheater and it rises up from the lake itself and you can just see how it makes a perfect amphitheater and theologians scholars believe this is this is where he did it and so the the chapel's here but the location's over here and you'll get a chance to witness that and what occurred is hundreds of thousands of people were following Jesus because he was the blind would see the lame would walk the deaf would hear is he healing them of their diseases leprosy etc casting out demonic spirits raising the dead i mean he was remarkable and people were traveling with him plus he fed thousands with a you know a couple of loaves of bread and a handful of fish and then there were 12 basketfuls and everywhere he went he was providing for them so they came because they wanted something from him And they're all gathered, and probably 100,000 people. What the Scripture is going to say in a moment is Jesus walks up a hill and a portion of the disciples follow him. Now, this isn't a sermon for the masses. It wasn't a message considered for the world itself. It's considered for believers, disciples, uh, those being taught is the idea. And these words are so profound, and as Jesus began to utter these words, it was so revolutionary that no one had ever heard anything of this sort. And you've heard me often say from, from the pulpit when people come up and say, Pastor, you really cause the word to come alive. And I always say, you know, that is not necessarily a compliment. I know it's intended to be a compliment, but I point out that the Bible says in Hebrews that God's word is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. No pastor, no pastor causes the word to come alive. It's already alive. The Lord causes us to come alive to his word. So what was so fascinating is it says in John chapter 1, in the beginning... In the beginning was the Word, and the, and the Word became flesh and dwelt with man. And the Word was God, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt with man. So Jesus is the Word. He is God. And, and when he speaks, his words are life and transformative. So when he takes this group of folks, and they follow him up this hill, and they begin to listen to him teach it causes them to come alive. They come alive. And it's very profound and powerful. Now I share this with you because today you came to the service and, and God wants to establish in you a foundation that will forever change your life. This is how profound this sermon is. We're going to go through simply 11 verses. And when we conclude these 11 verses, if you apply these truths, you will have a life of great significance. And the question just simply remains... Why are you here? What is your point? When we finish this message, you'll know why you are here and what your life is to be about. And this is what God intended. So if you never want to listen to me again, listen today and then we'll let you off the hook from here on out. Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. These chairs are a little bit louder, aren't they? A lot less comfortable. And by the way, uh, you're going to see that when Jesus went up, he, he sat and everyone else stood. And so I'm going to pull up a chair and we're going to do that for the rest of the service. <laughs> All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to begin at verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds or the multitudes, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed. Everyone say blessed. blessed. Now, by the way, the word blessed, and I want to take time before we continue reading. You see in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, blessed be the name of the Lord our God. And That word blessed is not the same word you see here. The word blessed in Ephesians 2 is eulogidos, where we get the word eulogy. It's to, it's to speak highly of someone. That's what we do in a eulogy. We speak highly of them. But in this context here where you see the word blessed, it's makarios. And makarios means simply happy or fulfilled. And that's what we're here today to achieve, fulfillment, happiness. Everybody wants that in their life. Pay attention and you'll get it. Here we go. And Jesus said, verse 3, everyone say, oh, how happy. Oh, how happy. Or blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, how happy or blessed are those who mourn, for because they will be comforted. Oh, how happy or blessed are the meek, for because they will, be, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive or be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God Blessed, or oh, how happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here, here's here's a real key to happiness. Pay attention. This is so exciting. I can't wait. Oh, how happy! Oh, how happy are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil be <laughs> it's so sweet uh, against you because of me. And then he adds, rejoice, have great joy. Are you feeling it? I know I am. And be glad. Be glad. Because great is your reward. Not here, but in heaven. You get nothing. (laughs) Here. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, it seems like a a strange series of of statements. But as we lay this down, I, I promise you, if you pay attention, your life will be forever transformed for the better. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, which is alive. Cause us, Holy Spirit, we pray to come alive to your word. Lord, as as thousands of generations have been transformed by this simple sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached, I pray, Lord, for your disciples who are present here today that it would have a profound effect on all of us. We're prepared to receive, Lord. So minister to us now that we would give you glory. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So yesterday, I had the distinct privilege of not only walking my daughter down the aisle, I also had the the great joy to officiate the wedding. I did that for my first daughter. And um, my favorite part of a wedding... My absolute favorite part of the wedding is as the the um, the father and the daughter come down the aisle, and she's dressed in white, and the Bible says that that we are the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, and Jesus is the groom, right? And so as we come down the aisle together, there she is in white, and the Bible says that God Has cleansed our sins and washed us as white as snow. Though our sins were scarlet, we've been washed as white as snow. That's the white in a in a bride's outfit. She comes down dressed in white, and there her father is coming to give her to the groom. I represent, in a sense, God the Father. And and as I'm walking with with this bride that's been cleansed in the blood of Christ, that that is radiant and beautiful. We get to this spot and we stop. And then Pastor Tony said, dearly beloved, we're gathered here today in the presence of God to join together this man and this woman. He didn't actually memorize that, I did. And then he he gets to the place where he says, who gives this woman to be married to this man? At which point I say, I do, or her father does, or her mother and father, or her mother and I. And it's that point that the groom steps down, comes over, and I shake his hand. I shake his hand. And I take my daughter's hand, and I place it into his hand. And I step away, and I go to the background, and they move forward. I actually got to move up because I was officiating, too. But here's why it's significant. I'm looking at James Crawford, who came to me and said, I want to ask for your daughter's hand in marriage. And I'm sizing this guy up. And I'm 52 years old. I'm on the back half of my life, probably well beyond it maybe. I'm not getting any stronger. I'm getting grayer. My body's breaking down a little bit. And for 24 years of this this girl's life, I've been her provider and her protector. And now I'm looking at this guy, who's young and strapping and muscular, and I'm looking at him and I'm saying, this is gonna be your responsibility as I fade to the background. I need, to get you, I need you to get her safely to where she's destined to go. I'm entrusting to you the responsibility of provision and protection of her life. And I see in you a man who can do that. And yes, I give you my blessing. And when I take her hand and I put it in his, I'm then saying to him, she is now your responsibility financially as well. but i'm saying to him i know you're going to do right and i trust you to me it's one of the most significant portions because the father trusted his bride to his son he just said you will care for her bathe her in the water of the word care for her protect her provide for her and he's always done that for us and i know james will for kelly the reason why I say that is because as they step forward, I had some words of exhortation and admonishment to the two of them, and, and it lays in line with what we're about to hear today. Because the Lord is giving to each and every one of us an outline. He's building a life on this sermon that each of us need to pay attention to. He's giving us a foundation on a home that will be blessed and be happy and be fulfilled. Michelle and I have been married 26 years. And it's surreal when you're you're standing there looking at your radiant daughter being blessed by a godly man while you also see in the audience your other daughter married to another amazing man and your grandson... so beautiful your other daughter and looking at guys looking at her going this is a good family and and i'm looking at them looking at her thinking they got good taste and 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 you know you're you're thinking about who that's going to be and then you're looking at your sons and they're strapping and you're thinking thank god i don't have to pay for their weddings and and these are things that are going through your head but at that moment I have a responsibility, obviously, to officiate, but I was, I was holding back tears. Uh, tears of gratitude and thanksgiving because I'm looking like George Bailey. I'm thinking, it's a wonderful life. How did I get here? And I'm looking over at my wife who gets younger and prettier. I'm seeing her just with joy looking at her daughter And I'm thinking, God, that woman prays. Michelle prays. She's always prayed for the kids. I've always prayed for the kids. But I I know that she intercedes. And the scripture says that the fervent, faithful prayers of a righteous man or woman accomplish great things. I've shared with you often the prayer I have for my kids that I've prayed almost every day of their life. And I say, you know, God, protect their purity and their innocence. Give them a supernatural love for your word. Give them a heart to serve you and bless them with a godly spouse that together they would serve you all the days of their life. Bless them with godly kids and grandkids for generations to come that they would honor your name. As I'm, I'm standing here, I'm watching that. I'm, I, I listen to Oliver, my two-year-old, singing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. I'm, I'm seeing their home saturated in the word of God and a father who's serving and my daughter, who is, is, is just as prayerful as her mother, I'm seeing Kelly and James and watching another family begin to launch. And I'm looking at Natasha. Nobody could find her all day yesterday. And I walk into the office and her fingers are just bloody stumps as she's putting together bouquets for her sister. And I'm thinking, Lord, thank you. And, I, and, it's, and I'm, it's like an out-of-body experience. How did I get here? How did I get here? And it brings me to this, because as I looked at Kelly and James, I'm looking at a family ready to begin. And they need a foundation, every home does. Any builder in the room knows that you only have a foundation or a house that's as strong as the foundation. Anyone who's ever built knows that you have got to get down to bedrock before you pour the foundation. One of the most visual pictures I have of, of trying to build a home is when I was in Tulane University in New Orleans, Louisiana, which is all swampland, and you've seen that place get flooded every hurricane that comes through. And they were building a new building on campus at Tulane, and I'm watching this pylon, these huge telephone poles, as this machine is hitting them and putting them into the ground. And as it's it's hitting the top of it, <clears throat> the first couple hits, that thing would sink five feet, boom, boom, Because it's just going through nasty mud nastiness, just And then it would get down... We'll edit that later. Then it would get down <laughs> to the bedrock and that machine would, and, déc déc and they're getting are getting towards solid. And then when those posts are into the foundation, they're established, then they can build the remainder of the building on those foundations because it's on solid bedrock. And Christ is our rock. He's the firm foundation. The firm foundation. Everything above where those pylons are, all that mud, all that junk, all that silt, All that refuse is not what you build the house on. We here have here in Thousand Oaks many houses that had poor foundations that are now cracking and then the doors bend and the house is warped. And some people lost their entire fortune. They didn't put enough rebar in. They didn't get to the foundation. It wasn't level. And it creates a home that cracks and falls apart. So when the Lord is laying out to each of us a foundation for a happy life, he gets right to the point. And he's only speaking to disciples, those who want to be taught. And if you are desiring to be happy and fulfilled, pay attention. Because this is something that needs to be learned. He says to his disciples, very clearly, he says, we're going to pour the foundation now, are you ready? And he says to his disciples, oh, how happy. Oh, how fulfilled are the poor in spirit. poverty is not godliness. God didn't call us all to be monks and live in a cave. Some of you are very well off. The greater the risk, the greater the reward. And some of you have amassed fortunes. And God blessed you with that. Some of us don't have those fortunes. God has other plans for us. And God blessed me with that. (laughs) I didn't mean it exactly that way, but But I mean it along the lines of I don't have to worry about my portfolio on the ceiling as I lay awake at night wondering how I'm going to shift and avoid taxes. Just thought I'd throw that out there. I'm not worried if the stock market goes up or down. I have nothing in it. My retirement plan is a double-wide trailer on the Salton Sea. I wasn't going to add the last part. And so... As we see this idea of poverty, God's not speaking that poverty is the godliness. Poverty isn't the secret to happiness. He's saying there is a type of poverty. Poverty is not having resources. Poverty is lacking something. That's what poverty is. And he says, this is where happiness comes. Blessed, oh, how happy. Pay attention, they're just coming in. It's all right. Blessed, oh, how happy are the poor in spirit. You see, mankind is a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. The body is the soma, the, the the mind is the pneuma, or excuse me, the mind is the psyche, the intellect, and the spirit, the pneuma of God. And we walk around in life not having a relationship with the living God, not having Christ in us, and so our mind and our body is really what dictates what we do. We don't believe in the spiritual world, it's all about matter, it's all about logic, it's all about, and that's great, and, and, and folks like that, you can't explain love, you have no idea about it, your heart gets moved, but you try to be so logical and try to avoid it, and one of my favorite uh, shows is Elementary, and it's a, the guy, you know, kind of a Sherlock Holmes thing, and in no spirit, all, all is matter and all is logic, boring, boring. We're all moved by emotion, and you can't explain through evolutionary process. You can't explain love. You can't explain these things through the evolutionary process. This is spirit. This is something that we all have that we're, as is, is Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher and mathematician, said we're, we're all created with a God-shaped void. And that's the center of who we are, and we're moved to love. We want to love and be loved. And we still don't even understand what that is. And so when we come to this place where we look at it, God says to us, oh, how happy, oh, how blessed are the poor in spirit, those that look at their lives and say something is missing, that puzzle piece is gone. I'll give you an example. There are, you have a vision of who you want to be in life. Some of you have given up on that. Some of you give up on life. But there was a time where you dreamed and a time where you thought, and you, you, you have a vision of where you want to go and, and what you want to achieve. And I'm seeing my son, Daniel, filling out college applications, doing the due diligence, and his whole future is ahead of him, where he's going to go, what decision he's going to make. And this is, this is dreaming. But we come to a place where we hit stark reality that I didn't do my homework, and that grade is not going to get me into that school. I'm not speaking of Daniel. I'm speaking of my life. <clears throat> And, and you, you, you see, I didn't front load this. I'm not prepared. And that dream isn't going to happen. And the dream and the reality seem to conflict. For each of you, there are things in your life that you really want to do. Or I would say there's things that you really want to become, but it requires these things that you need to do. And those things that you need to do, you don't do those. Rob, you don't do those. And those things that aren't going to get you where you want to go, those things you don't want to do, that's what you're doing. (laughs) Rob, you will not get in the Naval Academy getting drunk every night and hanging out with your friends and partying. And obviously, I'm not in the Naval Academy. (laughs) right? You're tracking me. I didn't get there. And I'm looking at my son who rises before I do, does his homework. My two boys, diligent in their homework. I'm thinking, whose children are these? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) But my point is this. You come to a place in life where the things that you want to do, you don't do. And the things you don't want to do, those you're doing. And the person you want to become, you'll never be. And then all of a sudden, you start to give in to those things that are destroying you. And you get to a place where you realize, I am out of control. My life is imploding and it's unmanageable. And I don't like this. Now you're prideful and you hold on because somehow you're going to white knuckle this thing through and you don't want to listen to anybody else. And you know who you are? You're the people down at Galilee right by the shore you see hundreds of thousands followed him but when he walked up the hill he, he separated the sheep from the goats because the ones that stayed down at the lake were saying he'll come back down and he's going to give us the food and he's going to heal our sick and he usually does it right by the lake and i don't want to lose my spot in line and he's always up there yapping about something and i don't want to sit through another sermon or apply any more of those teachings let's just stay here where we know we're going to get the good stuff we want and Jesus deliberately walked up the hill cuz you had to huff up there for a bit. And he actually sat down to make them stand to see are you really wanting to pay attention? Cuz you you sit down you're going to fall asleep like some of you are right now. And then that's what's happening. And so as he walks up this hill, many stayed down at the at the lake. I just I just want a free ride. I just want what I want but I don't want to do what I have to do. And by the way, some parents allow your kids to do that. You enable them. There's personal responsibility before the Lord. You do this, you get that. You don't do this, you don't get that. And they don't do it and you still give them that. And they get used to getting a trophy for everything, right? And they wonder why, well, where's my trophy? It doesn't work that way. There's a winner and there's a loser. That's how life is. And even in losing, you gain character. And there's a lesson in each of it that we need to take time to explain, And as he walks up, they stay down. And some of you are remaining here because you just want the handout. You don't want the discipline. You don't want the surrender. You don't think that you're poor in spirit enough. And that's the very first step in the big book in Alcoholics Anonymous to realize my life is unmanageable. I need God. And so the foundation before we get to this building of the life you want, it has to begin with this. All of that junk, all of the mud on the surface, all of that sediment, all of that gook. You have to call it what it is, it's sin. It's disobedience. And you don't sit down at the lake and go, "Well, it's not all that bad. It's not a it's it's not adultery. It's an affair." It wasn't a baby, it was a choice. I, and I'm, that's not to bring condemnation to anyone in the room. Everyone's been affected by abortion. That's for all of us to take a, a good, hard look at our lives and say, personal responsibility before a living God. Do I want to dress it up and call it something other than it is? You see, for those who stay down at the lake and don't walk up the hill, instead you look at the alcohol and you say, it gives me strength. Well, you're a Roman. You're just you're, you're you're just taking this 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 sin and you're giving it godlike status and you call it Bacchus, the god of alcohol. Oh, well, it's the only way to get through it. It calms me and settles me, and I just need some me time. There. Bacchus. You're not interested in getting to bedrock. You're not interested in a foundation. Your house is falling apart. Maybe it's we can go through uh, you know, pornography, it's just something I do. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Well, it's it's Aphrodite. It's the goddess of sensuality and and it's just it, it gives it just it's it's my no. God says call it what it is. Agree with me. Are you porn spirit is your life unmanageable? No, I'm I'm a functioning alcoholic. What what does that mean? <laughs> what in the world does that mean? Functioning according to who? Your family is pretty upset about it. And what kind of a message does that relay to your children? And so God says here, we're going to pour the foundation. Pay attention. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you want a life that has meaning and fulfillment? You only get there by one way. God. I'm nothing without you. Help me, God. Help me. Is that too hard to do? To acknowledge you need help? The rich man is the one who recognizes their great need. God, I need you. There's nothing dumb in that. Nothing. Nothing. King David said, I've been rich and I've been poor. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging bread. And that begins by being poor in spirit and saying, God, help me. You see, the only thing we bring to the equation if we want to build a house of fulfillment and a lasting legacy, the only thing we bring to the equation is our acknowledgement that we bring nothing to the equation. the two great truths of the universe there is a God and we are not him and then these three words Lord help me God help me a sinner the publican who came to Christ and 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 said I I can't I'm not worthy I can't come in and then the rich man who said well I tithe and I do this and I do that and he's the Pharisee and he's laying out why he's so special and then God looks at the the audience and he says of this parable who is the most righteous and they say the publican and the publican is righteous because he recognizes his need of God. And for those of you who say, I don't need God, I'm a self made man, I'm a self made woman. Again, that's like a functioning alcoholic. What are what are you what are you saying? You don't keep your heart beating and your lungs moving at night. You didn't make yourself. But you knit yourself together. What, what, what are you what are you talking about? Well, I worked hard for that. I'm sure you did, but but aren't you grateful God gave you a heart that beats and lungs that move and blood that pumps and a mind that sees? That, that you were born in a nation that gives you opportunity? Try pulling that off in North Korea's self made man. No, it's the humble man and the humble woman who say, Lord, help me. I'm spending time on this. We'll, we'll go through the others quickly, but the first one is the foundation. And everyone in the room has to come to a place where God has to be in charge. Lord, help me. When that foundation is laid, you get through all the fill dirt, you get through all the chaff, you get through all of that sedimentary stuff on the top, and you get down to the bedrock, which is Jesus. Jesus is our foundation. And when we come to that place, then the Lord says, all right, we are on course to building an amazing house. I remember when I came to the Lord and I looked at my life and I said, God, it's unmanageable. If I continue along this path, I will never amount to anything. Lord, help me. You know how surreal it is to be 26 years of age, having given your heart to the Lord, standing and looking at these two beautiful people entering into a life together, a daughter that's as radiant as her mother, a young man who is so handsome and so godly and, and loves the Lord, building her a barn, seeing a room filled of, with people that I love, that I have gone 15 years in this journey of faith together, a community that is so loving and endearing. When, when, when the gifts came in for my daughter, those, those were, they were precious. And I'm looking at this saying, God, this would never have happened had I never said, Lord, help me. Had Rob taken the reins and run with my life, it would be an absolute train wreck. And I'm standing there thinking, God, you did this. And my wife is glowing, realizing it, because she knew me before. There's the foundation. Blessed, oh, how happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Your life is now in his hands. If you believe in your heart, confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord. He's in charge. You are now part of the kingdom of God, and your life has purpose and meaning. If you can't utter those words, all you have is the heartbeats remaining in your chest. Boy, what a sad and sorry life that is. You know what? Why are you here? Get get out of here. You got to go eat a steak or something. Go get some shrimp or go travel on a plane because... Take it all in, because there's not much to look at. I've been there, done that. I got the T-shirt. If that's what you're... Go have fun. Hurry. This is wasting your time. Get out of here. Go. (laughs) But if you want a life of fulfillment, you're right where you are. The foundation's laid. Here we go. Then he adds the next level of building. We're going to frame the house, and he says, blessed are those who mourn. You're like, wait a minute. How do you get happy out of mourning? It's not mourning where you go around going i've lost everyone and my whole family's dead and i don't want to go on in life that's not mourning that's not what he's speaking of he's saying the same pain you feel of having lost someone you've been married to for 60 years your best friend who goes to be with the lord and you're sitting at a table where the seat is empty on the other side and your heart is broken and you're crushed and it affects your physical health it affects your heart it affects your emotions you are grappling God is saying, I want your condition, your spiritual condition, your sin to affect you as much as the pain of having lost somebody that you love that much. Because you know what? We love sin. And God says, I want you to mourn its absence. Let it go. I want you to mourn your, your sin. I want you to just let that go. But the beauty of it is, blessed are those who mourn their spiritual condition because they'll be comforted. Because all of a sudden you say, God, I used to love this Alpo, but you gave me filet mignon. And I'm thinking to myself, why would I ever return to this? The scripture says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a man returns to his sin. I mean, that's a graphic picture, isn't it? You just, I've seen dogs. <laughs> <laughs> my great uncle was a, a commander and my dad was a captain and he had gone through two wars and he invited him on board the ship to do an atlantic crossing and they're going through some awful north atlantic weather and it's just terrible and my my great uncle was a gentleman through and through. He'd end up being an executive for the travelers insurance company. And my and, and you know, he didn't have his sea legs and he's getting real nauseous and my dad, you know, loved him and he was wanting to be polite and he's saying, uh uh You all right? And he goes, I'm fine, I'm fine, right? And he goes into the into the bathroom, they called it the head, and he goes in there and my dad's, you know, manning the ship and he just hears my great uncle in there just ah, ah, you know, his lungs are coming up, things, and just, and my dad doesn't know how to respond, because he's always been a gentleman, he's not sure, and it's just an awkward thing, and And my great uncle comes out, and he's, you know, got the handkerchief, he's dabbing his cheek, and he puts it in, he says, you know, I don't remember having eaten that, you know, it's just so, <laughs> Don't go back to it. (laughs) Mourn it. Let it go. And you'll be comforted. What will you be comforted with? A whole different life. And then after he does that framing, we walk away from the sin. We mourn our sinful condition. He comforts us. And this is what he does. And I talked about this yesterday. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meekness is, and I, I shared That Kelly grew up loving horses, and I I talked about horses. And this magnificent beast is pulled to the right or to the left by one simple piece of metal, the bit that goes in its mouth. And this beast can be controlled by the master by just a simple pull of the reins. And this little piece of metal just gently turns the horse. Beast, massive piece of metal, turning it meekness the definition by the scripture means the bit in the horse's mouth and so meekness is not weakness meekness is not saying come trample my life come step on me meekness is yieldedness to the master lord you hold the reins where do you want to go today he pulls it this way and he pulls it this way right and this horse moves Now, horses have an amazing memory, and and, and the scripture says, blessed are the meek, and here's the addition, for, because they will inherit the earth. If you do things God's way, you'll be blessed. When he says, give the first fruits, he's not saying that because I'm up here trying to milk you to build a kingdom to myself. That's your blessing, and, and you're struggling with it. And, and to be guided by the Lord, where He's saying, Be a cheerful giver. I've seen it before. You know, that's why I stopped passing the offering plate. I did that 15 years ago. I'd watch that plate go by and someone would go, Oh, God. I got a piece of lint and a nickel. There you go. And, and then, you know, the, the husband and the wife, why are we giving? It's so dumb, you know write the check, please. Uh, Calvary Chapel. And you can just see where the pencil broke three or four times. Right $2.08. And right. He tears it so it's not even even. Throw that thing. Hey, keep it. Keep it. Anyone in this room that has a problem with giving, do me a favor. Keep your money. This is an act of joy that God wants to bless you that you would inherit the kingdom of heaven, that you would inherit the earth. Here's how it works. You give him the first fruits, he'll show you how to work the other 90. You put him first in your life, everything else will fall into place. But listen, the bit that's in your mouth is not the master's. It's your money. That's your God. You go wherever it tells you to go. You do whatever it tells you to do. And you're worshiping at the altar of the almighty dollar. Keep your money. As it says in the book of Acts, may it perish with you. If that's your God, you're going to become just like it, lifeless and cold and dead. There's no fulfillment or happiness. If money were happiness, why in the world would we have tabloids at the supermarket checkout? (laughs) If money were happiness, really, why are they all so miserable? Happiness is the bit of the Lord moving you in life. And as you submit in every area of your life and finances is the hardest, that's why Jesus spoke of money more than anyone. Cause he knew that was the God. And, and I've story after story of people yielding in that capacity. Their lives are blessed beyond measure. Blessed are the meek. Those that are governed by the Lord, for they will inherit the earth. You apply those principles of Scripture into your life, you will be blessed. You follow the Ten Commandments. If you tell the truth, if you're honest, if, if you go through this and, and, and you observe these, these laws, people will hire you. You will be blessed. Money will come from places you never expected. And life will move on in a profound way. You know, let me tell you about riches, riches. Megan and Zach are stepping forward, and they're moving out in faith. You want to talk about inheriting the earth? They're stepping out in faith. He didn't know what he was going to do or where he was going to go, and you want to talk about a rich family, rich in faith. You know what God provides? If wealth makes good children, why are all the celebrities' kids such a train wreck? Let me tell you what makes good children, men and women of faith who live that before their children. And they step forward and say, let's do this. One of the reasons why as I stand here, 26 years of marriage, and I'm living like George Bailey, it's a wonderful life, and I'm taking it all in is because my kids grew up watching their mother and father operate in such a way that God is alive in our lives. And they knew it, and they see it. We can't give it away faster than the Lord replenishes it. And the scripture says, husbands, live in such a way as you're not married, but what that, what that means is have a radical faith. Challenge your wife. And I'm looking at Meg, and she's like, is that all you got, Zach? Oh, no work? Come on, let's go. I love that. Michelle, would, that's, she's open to it. I come to her with crazy ideas. Okay, praise the Lord. Let's do it. And, and one thing I'll add as, as we move through this, one thing I'll add is, you know, Sarah, Abraham said, we got to move to a place. Where? Well, it's not here. It's somewhere, and we're not sure God will show us. And she leaves everything and follows him. And then they they get into Egypt, and he screws it up in there. And then they come out, and, and he's telling everybody that they're going to have children as numerous as the stars in the sky. And she's not pregnant. She's in her 80s or 90s. She finally goes in and says, why don't you sleep with Hagar, my maidservant, since you've told everybody we're going to have children as numerous as the stars in the sky. And and he he doesn't turn to her and said, no, 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 God said that the child's going to come from your womb and bathe her in the water of the word and, re, you know, confirm to her and bless her and comfort her. No, she says, why don't you sleep with Hagar? He's like, yeah, she's cute. Okay. And he goes in and he sleeps with Hagar. And this is what's kind of helpful is because you look at someone like Brett. Brett, there's no guile in him. And 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 he 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 encourages me in the things of the Lord. Well, I look at Sarah when she says to, to Abraham as she's as as Hagar's pregnant and Hagar's given her the, the nasty eye, as women can do, Sarah's upset. And she points to Abraham. She goes, this is your fault. This sin be upon you. And Abraham's like, wait a minute. You told me to go sleep with her. Well, that may have been what I said, but it's not what I meant. (laughs) And we know women never do that. My wife, are those your underwear? Well, I certainly hope so. (laughs) One comedian said, If they're not, you have some explaining to do. <laughs> Communication to men is hey, pick up your underwear. Okay, really simple request to man, I'll pick them up. Not women. Are those your underwear? Everything's a test. Everything. I didn't do well in school. the Lord guides and directs. He's the bit in our mouth. We trust him. And then we inherit the earth. We honor him. Our lives are blessed. It's surreal. I'm George Bailey. It's a wonderful life that all came because God is the bit in in my mouth. Amen. And then we come to this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. After a while, you you're so blessed by the Lord, you want what he has. You think about those horses that they're just guided by that bit. Here's what's cool. If you've ever rented one of those those horses from the rental place, you know, go out to Two Winds or whatever, and you ride the horses, and you get on the horse, and when I get on the horse, horse is like, one at a time, please. But you get on the horse, and and you you start out, and the horses are like, oh, my, this is awful. And they're going up going, I just don't want to do this. And you get up to a point where you turn the corner, and the horses know it. They're like, Bing. barn in sight you don't the reins are worthless they're like i'm going to the barn i'm going to the barn i'm going to the barn and psh, they're hungering and thirsting for the barn they know where they're supposed to go they don't need to be guided anymore they're, they long for that and you hunger and thirst for righteousness you'll be filled and the lord's saying because every one of us gets food i was so blessed somebody gave me a cookbook on bacon great book We love food, and the Lord is saying, as Job did, hunger for God's word more than your physical food. If we long to be governed by God as much as food governs us, we would be doing really, really well. And take those same things, thirst and hunger, great drives in the human body, and apply them spiritually. And just like that horse, you turn that corner, and you're going home. And you're doing it with purpose and direction because you know where the master's leading. You're a step ahead of him. In that sense. And you'll be filled. You'll be filled. Cause it awaits you. You know, I do this. This is what happens. God does it every time. And then we come to blessed are the merciful. Once you come to a place where you, you realize you're poor in spirit. Once you come to a place where you mourn your sinful condition. Once where you come to a place where you have that bit in your mouth and you're guided by the Lord and you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness and everything makes sense. You come to a place where you go, God, you're so good. And then the enemy steps in. And George Bailey with his wonderful life, then, then somebody just messes with you. Your best friend in a fallen world turns on you. Your kids do something. Your business partner. Some, some criminal violates your family. Something awful just strikes you out of the blue. You're crushed. And it hits you to the core of your being. And the foundation, your knees, and the wind's been knocked out of you. Maybe it's a physical ailment. Just, you gotta have bypass. You got cancer. Whatever it is, bam! And then you start to get a little whiny. me? Why is this happen to me? I get it. But it's in those moments... When you get upset, you just don't feel like it it's fair. It's just not fair. Time out. Time out. God's good. Always. It may not make sense, but he's always good. And that person hurts you and you want your pound of flesh. You're like, Lord, lightning. (laughs) Imprecatory psalm in their general location hit them so hard with lightning, their whole family feels it. God's like, Rob, we can do that. It's been a tough election, Lord, lightning. Okay, all right, calm down, Rob. I know, but justice, you're God of justice. Do it! And the Lord's like, I am a God of justice, but I'm also a God of mercy. Do you remember how you got here and we have this relationship? I do. I do. 26 years ago, maybe 30 years ago, I was just a jerk. And, and then you came in an important spirit and I'm help me. You know? And then you came in and you he, help me. You know? And then I'm like, I hate this. And you took it away from me and gave me victory. I do remember that. And then the bit and then the guiding over here and of over there. I get it. It's a meekness. I'm, I'm just that horse It's all about you, Lord. Roo-roo. Hungry and thirsty. We're heading to the bar. Lord, let's do this. And then this happened. <laughs> and the Lord says, The Lord says, Yeah, it did happen. Now, here's what I need you to do. What? I need you to forgive him and be merciful to him. Why? <laughs> and the Lord says, Because I was merciful with you. That's how we got here, Rob. I didn't get you, give you what you deserved. And quite honestly, Rob, if you don't give it, you're not going to get it. Okay. I'm good with that. And these are the fine additions to the house where he's giving you some neat little mantles to put in there. That used to be the person I hate the most and they're my best friend now. In the cupola with the patina pattern on it, in the roof. That person hurt me, but we, I came to realize their life and all that occurred, and we're just connected. And it's really sweet how the Lord took something so awful, made it so good. That's just that's mercy. This is a fulfilled life. He makes your enemies your friends. And then I come back to Brett, where it says, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God." Brett, he's annoying. <laughs> He is. He's so annoying. There's no guile in his life. I'm like, I can't believe that she booked me on a flight to Africa in a middle seat by the bathroom. 14 hours. And Brett's like, Praise the Lord, you get two people to witness to. I'm like, What planet are you from? What are you? Because to Brett, it's all about the Lord. And you know what? When, when you've got that bit in your mouth and you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness and you grasp mercy, every step is ordered by the Lord and everything is a divine appointment. And Brett says, I'm praying that God's going to use you so profoundly in that mill seat and I'm so excited for you, bro. Praise God. And I'm like, oh, shut it. <laughs> and he does and I come back and Dude, I knew it was going to happen it's just so awesome how God does that man high five bro <laughs> as I'm putting drops for the pink eye that I got from the kid because it wasn't just it's like her child too both of them kids and they wanted me to hold him for 14 hours ah, that's it you know <laughs> But that's the pure in heart, because you come to a place like Brett, where it's not about you. There are no enemies, there's opportunities. And you love them. And your life has meaning. You start to realize, as you can see God and his creation, because we've been created in the image of God, and everyone counts. You step out of your comfort zone and you love the unlovable because God loved you first. And then you get to see the manifold glory of who he is in the lives you have the privilege to be a part of because you stepped into places you never would have in your selfishness. You see God. And then the peacemakers because they will... For they will be called the children of God. This is the cool one. Peacemakers, bridge builders. You build a bridge, people hate you on both sides. The church yells at you, Why are you going over there talking to them? Everyone over there going, Why are you part of that church? They're like, let's just keep building. Come on, let's come on. Who wants to come on this side? Who wants to come? Let's just be in the middle. Stop And then you run into someone like Sharona Counts, the lady I just read to you. Why are you talking to me? Well, Sharona, why are you talking to me? My sister and I had the coolest conversation. My sister's, she's left, I'm right. We're fine in middle. Well, and then people in church, well, you're compromising in the middle. And no, compromise. to are compromising. And why are you doing this? And one day they just go, You're different. You're not like the people on the other side of the wall throwing the bombs. I mean, you're the closest I've ever seen to somebody that I would even consider wanting to know more about God. And blessed are the peacemakers, or they shall be called children of God. You know what? Wisdom is proven by our children. I can't tell you how many people come and go, You have the most lovely family. I'm grateful for that. But the reality is, that's because they serve a lovely God. And they're seeing the children of God. All of these things applied end up with that result. And that's what you see. They're not Rob's kids, they're God's kids. Almost finished. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. I have to explain something here. Not, oh, how happy, oh, how fulfilled are those who are persecuted because they're irritating. <laughs> right praise God brother have you heard the word of the Lord and have you met Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and hey I'll see you putting tracks everywhere and that's not to dismiss tracks they're good but you know you're eating a sandwich and you take a bite and there's a track in it I'm going oh, what is it the guys oh hey praise the Lord I just wanted an introduction. just to share with you about Jesus Christ and how he loves plan for your life and whatever You're weird. (laughs) How many people were led to the Lord by a track? Raise your hand. One, two. How many people were led to the Lord in a crusade? Raise your hand. Three, four. How many people were led to the Lord because somebody loved you and walked alongside you and told you about (sighs) Jesus? Well, cut my legs off and call me shorty. And when you stepped into their life to minister to them, they didn't like you at first, did they? And you were a little difficult. And they didn't like the hard truths. And they didn't like these things. But you endeavored with them. And you loved them. And you were patient. And you did listening. And you went the extra mile. And you remembered their birthday and their anniversary. And you went through those things. And and you loved them. And that's okay. God says that's happiness. You're going to be persecuted for righteousness sake. Stand. And you stand in the public square, and they're going to hate you, and they're going to say all kinds of stuff about you. And he goes further. He says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely, and they say all kinds of evil against you because of me. After a while, they can't stand in opposition to the truth, so they've got to make up lies. And I have to tell you something. People go, I can't believe what they said in the newspaper about you. I can't believe what they said. And I'm looking at going, this is a gift. We're doing something right. We're winning. They have to say that. They've got nothing else to say. I mean, they could if they went deeper. But what I'm saying is, (laughs) it's successful. Rejoice, be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. And I close with that. It's not about it's not about your comfort on this earth. We've built a house of fulfillment that is prepared for future generations. It's a selfless house, governed and directed by God. And you know what, when I step off this earth, there are 5 kids And there's going to be a grip of grandkids and great-grandkids that will take that word and those lives because they've had a tangible example because God has been the bit in my mouth. And they're going to affect that world for Jesus. This is the blueprint for all of our lives. Take it, build it, and be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word and we thank you for your faithfulness that your word is alive and today you caused us to come alive to your word. We're so grateful, God. Bless your people that this word would reach deeply into their lives and the application of these truths would be evident to all. And so, Lord, we're thankful. Today, all credit, all glory, all honor goes to one person and that's you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. We praise you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.